right, welcome to another edition of the Broadcast Journal. My guest this for this edition is Susan Walman. She's one of the radio voices of the Yankees. How are you doing, Susan? I'm great. How are you today? So let's talk about the Yankees uh, start to the season so far. Obviously, they had a hard, uh, really hot start. Obviously, lost last night, unfortunately, the Red Sox, but they've been a hot start. What do you think of the team so far? This season? Well, this team is very exciting. They got off to kind of a mediocre start, actually. They were in the 500 and then went off in this incredible run. I think they're young. They're exciting. Um, you're not going to win every game. I think 17 out of 18 is pretty good. If you win 17 out of 18, you're going to win an awful lot of games. Um, I, I think this is a great a great start for a team that has a lot of youth on it and um, just a couple of veterans. So I think it's going to be a very exciting uh, season. And actually, I think there's nothing better than a Yankees-Red Sox summer. That's what everybody wants in both cities, and I think that's what we're going to get. So what are you expecting tonight against the Oakland A's? Well, I don't have any idea because there are so many stories here today. Um, let's start with Sonny Gray, who that's he has never faced his team before. His best friend is on the mound for the Oakland A's, Kendall Graveman, who was just called up today. So that's emotional right there. Sonny Gray's manager, Bob Melvin, loved Sonny Gray, thought it was his favorite player that he's ever had. So there's going to be a lot of emotion for Sonny. He also wants to do well. Also, it's the return of a kid that I just have loved since he was in the minor leagues, and that's Dustin Fowler. Um, when he made played his first game in Chicago, he's the one that went over the wall and tore up his knee towards patella tendon very badly. This is his first start as an Oakland A. Um, when I got here at 2.30, he was outside the Yankees' dugout talking with some of the coaches that he had had in the minor leagues. So it's going to be a very emotional night for those guys. But the Yankees need to take care of business. This is um, not a great team, and they don't have a lot of great pitching. And hopefully that they can get back on their winning ways today. And Sonny Gray needs to go out and win. So let's talk about, I guess, your career. Uh, I didn't know this, but before you started your sports broadcast career, you were in music theater. So mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that. Well, I always grew up wanting to be on Broadway. I started singing when I was two, and it never occurred to me. I loved baseball. I loved sports. I had my own season ticket for baseball games when I was three, and I'd go with my grandfather. And um, it was always just a big love of mine, but I was always going to be a singer, come to New York and, and go on Broadway, which I did. When I got a little older, I realized that the musicals that I came to New York to do, they were gone, and they're not coming back, so I'd better find something else to do with my life. And the only other thing I really knew was sports, and this is in the 80s, and the uh, former, he's now long gone, but the former play-by-play uh, -play announcer for the Boston Red Sox, Ken Coleman, said we were very close friends, and he said, you know, there's a guy, and he's starting something in New York, and I think they're going to call it Fan or something. It's going to be a 24-hour sports station. I told him about you. Call him up and go see him. And I did, and I made a tape, and they hired me to do updates on this fledgling station. And, um, you know, then what happened was it was not... I did it because I needed something to do, and I love sports, and I know sports, but I didn't realize that... In sports, if you walked into a room and you were female, most of the time you were hated on sight. And I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why I couldn't talk sports like a guy could. I always did my whole life. Why was it any different now? 
And so when I started getting all this backlash and, and started getting horrible things at the station, it became something else. Then it was going to be, um, no, you're not going to stop me. I'm as smart as you just because you know, half this world is female. I mean, <laughs> I know just as much as you do. Um, and I'm going to prove that I can do that. So it became something else for me, not just trying to get a job. No, I also didn't know this too, but back at, uh, during your time at WFN, you also covered the Knicks. So mm-hmm. talk about sure. covering your, your Knicks days. Okay. My, uh, the reason I got to do the Knicks in 1987 was the, reason I got, the same reason I got to do the Yankees, because the guys didn't want to go do the Yankees because the other team had won the World Series the year before, so they sent the girl here. And the Knicks, nobody wanted to go um, to where they practiced, which is in Westchester, and I lived there. And so I said, I'll go, and nobody wanted to cover the Knicks because they had just won 24 games the year before, and they hired this young coach named Patino. Now, I knew Patino from Boston University when he had the kids running up and down the court with bricks in their hands to get them stronger. I said, I'll go. And so I covered the Knicks and the Yankees. I also was the first female to do a pre- and post-game for an NBA team. Those days were great. Those days were really different because we all traveled together and we traveled commercial. And there were only 12 of them at the time. So it became like a family back then. It's all different now, but uh, it was very different back then. And I I loved, I loved basketball. That really was a, a love of mine also, not just baseball. So how was it seeing the growth of that Knicks team going from where it was in the 80s to those teams in the 90s where they almost won the championship? Well, I was around there. I stopped, I think I stopped doing um, Knicks when Yes went on the air, but I loved that whole thing. I loved what Patino going from, um, you know, defense and three-point shots and... Uh, and then going to you know Riley and going Riley and the and the defense and I always think Riley didn't get enough credit here because everybody thought that he you know he, he coached Showtime out there but he was really a good coach he came to New York and they were all defensive players so he made a great defensive team and they almost did win and then Van Gundy came in and I covered that too and I I just love that group I sort of lost touch because you know when you do um, baseball and you do every single game it's very tough to stay in yeah. touch with with other sports so also right here that you got an opportunity to play a play for the Yankees in the mid-90s for, uh, I believe it was Pix 11 and then Fox 5 when they had it and then MSG, right? Right, I did, but before that, my first radio game was in 1993. It actually was a Mets game in Houston for a weekend and Bob Murphy, bless his heart, didn't want to go to Houston because he had had a fight with the announcer in Houston and Milo Hamilton and he didn't want to go. So Al Harrison, who was the general manager co-general manager of the Mets at the time called our program director at FAN and said you know it would be really cool I think let's send Susan she could do a a game the great story about that was um, I sort of knew the Mets I knew nothing about the Houston Astros and because National League team in Boston where I grew up they didn't even have a National League scoreboard so they didn't matter to me Um, but I would sit with guys the Yankees Wade Boggs Paul O'Neill did scouting reports for me on everybody in Houston, and I went there for a week, and that was the first weekend. Gary Cohen and I did that in June of 93. And then the next ones I did were actually television. There was a thing, long defunct, called the Baseball Network, and those were national games, but there were a lot of different national games all over, and I did those 94, 95, and then the PIX and MSG came after that. So I'll talk about... Uh 
you have any whatever experience before doing that? No. You didn't? I had no experience doing anything. I did this. <laughs> I was a Broadway actress, and that's all I did. But I had figured, I know sports, I mean, and I know how to talk, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, how tough could it be? I found out it was tougher than I thought. But um, you practice. You get you know, you turn little things. Turn down the television, talk into a machine, put it away for a few hours, and then listen to it and see what you did and see what you don't like and what you like. It's um, So that's how I learned how to do it. I learned on the job, to tell you the truth. Now, you had a little, little, little bit of adversity during the mid-90s. Uh, I saw that you uh, had breast cancer for a while, and obviously you were able to overcome it. How much did that put in perspective? If I could survive that, I could survive anything. With all the hardships, all the criticism, all the you know obstacles that you had in your career. You know what? That's a really good question. Um, I think that when you fight cancer and you beat it, what are they going to do to me now? I could have died. I mean, it's not so. Somebody sends me a bad letter. I went through breast cancer. I, you know, I lost my hair. I was on the air doing it. I was ill. I mean, the Yankees took care of me. Um, I was giving myself shots. They had a, a refrigerator in my room on the road so that I could refrigerate my medicine and things. You know, when you go through a life, it's a life-altering thing. And when you think about it, I still get upset. I still don't like it when somebody says something bad. But, you know, when you overcome something that is life-threatening, it puts everything into perspective, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So I read here that you won an international radio award for your coverage of the uh, 1989 World Series earthquake. Mm-hmm. So talk about that experience. Well, that was, you know, that's sort of, anytime you win an award for a tragedy like that, you're always at the right place at the right time. And the right thing has to happen. I'm not saying the earthquake was the right thing, but I was in the upper deck at Candlestick Park and reporting for WFAN. And um, I, I remember seeing things start to sway. I can still see it. It's a long time ago. And I can still see it. They had wind socks up on the top of the, of the facades, and they started blowing, and there was a guy holding onto the pole because he was putting a, a flag up. Um, the television started to rock, where we were saying, because there wasn't enough room in the press box, so the auxiliary press was up in the stands. And they had televisions for us. And the earthquake came, and I've never been so scared in my whole life because if you're from here, you've never experienced it. In the comes out of nowhere and you don't know what is happening. I was on the air at the time, back to New York previewing, it was pregame or <clears throat> for the A's and, and the Giants and for some reason my phone line didn't go out so I was on the air through the whole thing two phones, mine and the guy next to me who was in Chicago <laughs> and he still says every time I see him Yo, I still got my, your nail marks in my arm from that often because I was holding on and talking but that was my luck that my phone line did not go out at that time so I kept talking and talking and talking and um, got back to San Francisco there were no lights and no nothing and um, hitched a ride with a couple other writers that I knew and um, in the morning I got up when it got light and I hitchhiked out to the Nimitz freeway where the, where the highway had collapsed and you know, with my World Series credential. I mean, they, they were looking for a press pass, so I just flashed it. The guy said, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, come on. And they showed me what was going on there, and that was where the 240 people had died when the Nimitz collapsed. And he said, see that? I remember a cop saying to me, see that little thing of metal? That was a car yesterday at this time. It was about the, it was about the size of a watermelon. And I did city-side stuff and stayed there and reported on the people 
And actually, there's a great story there because that's where I met the A's pitcher, Dave Stewart. We became really close friends because Dave Stewart had come out there with a generator so that the cops and the people that were working there could have coffee and make tea or whatever they wanted to. And that's where I became friends with him. We st- I stayed there and did city-side reports and was on the air back to FAN um, you know, for the, the whole time until they resumed the World Series. That's another life-changing event when you watch how people go through tragedy and rebuild their lives and rebuild their cities. It was quite something. I fell in love with San Francisco then and that whole, whole place. I love it there. So I just have one question about your WFN days. Mm-hmm. You also had a show on the midday. Talk about your experience with that. That was 10 to 1. I was with Jody McDonald. I had a great time. The reason I had to give that up was because um, that's when Yes went on the air, and I couldn't do both um, TV for Yes, and that's when I didn't work for FAN for uh, a little while. Um, I loved doing middays. Jody was great. We would uh, we had a great time. Our favorite, The favorite thing that we did, I thought, was when I got to... Um, Cover the Super Bowl. We were on Radio Row, and back then it wasn't a big giant. This is 19, it was a Giants win, so it was 2000, I guess. And um, the Giants were in it, and they played Baltimore. And I had the greatest time in my life. We were on Radio Row, and they bring it back all these football players that, see, when you don't cover a sport, like I've never really covered football, so you stay a fan. So they're bringing people, and I'm like going crazy. I mean, there's, you know, there's Steve Young, and there's all these people, and there's Joe Montana, and, and, I'm, and all these Giants are there, and all these ex-guys and I'm in heaven just talking to them we had a great time that was my highlight when we had, when we went to the Super Bowl so talk about how you got your current role as uh, one of the radio voices in Yankees well because I had been working with Yes um, for three years and I was doing pre and post game and I did some games with them and then um, John who we've been friends since for 30 years we've been really good friends and um Charlie Steiner was not gonna. They was not going to um, renew his contract. He went out to do the the Dodgers. And George actually thought it was a really good idea. George Steinbrenner, that because he'd seen me all the way up, and <laughs> um, and it was, and he thought it was a good idea. So they gave me the job. Let's talk about that. How much? Sorry. How much of your friendship with Johnstone helps you guys as a duo in terms of your broadcast? Oh, I think it, it really helps. As Kurt Gowdy, longtime voice of the Red Sox, a very famous announcer, always said, it's a very small booth. And, you know, you, you're with these people. I'm with John Sterling, what, eight hours a day, every single day, for nine months a year. I mean, we, and we travel on the team playing together. We sit next to each other on the bus because that's what we're supposed to do. It. Um, I, we intrinsically like each other a lot, and, and I think that helps. We finish each other's sentences. Um, you know, we like the same kind of music. We like the same kinds of, of books. We watch the same kinds of things. It's, it's, it's a really good relationship. I think, it, I think it helps a lot when you really understand a person. Uh, you have to anticipate when he's going to stop talking. You're going to have to anticipate what he's going to say so I don't repeat what he's saying. Um, I think it works well. We seem to have a good time. So, what has been your favorite uh, moment uh, since you've been the radio broadcast for Davis? Oh, boy. Um... Well, I guess I, I can't. I can't even. There are so many different things. I mean, the Derek Jeter's three thousandth hit, I cried the whole time, I'm, um, and it was just 
it was so heartwarming to me the way it all happened. I love that. Um, the obviously um, in 2009 the World Series. I became the first woman ever to broadcast a World Series. You know, my scorecard is in Cooperstown. That's wonderful. That's you know that's just a radio broadcast. There's so many that are so many different things because um, I'm very emotional and I get involved in human stories and. Um, you love it when someone comes back from an injury or someone comes back after a loved one has died and they perform um, you know they perform way over their way over their expectations and things and obviously Mariano when he got the save record that was you know you think about it I've watched I watched every pitch Mariano Rivera ever threw every, every hit Derek Jeter ever got uh, Bernie Williams the same thing so you just uh, root for players that you've known for for so many years so when they have big moments, and you're there talking about it, you're having the big, big moment too because you have to let the fans know how you feel about that because they're feeling the same way. So my last question will be, I always ask all my guests this, when it's all said and done, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. I don't think I've got that far yet because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not done. I don't know. I just, you know what I'd like to have... Maybe on my tombstone I'd like to have She succeeded when she shouldn't have That's probably grammatically incorrect But I think you get the point Yeah Alright well Thanks to my guest Susan Wallman And I hope you enjoyed this edition Of the broadcast show Thank you so much Kofi You're welcome